Let's talk shoes for a moment. If you didn't know, my closet is all about my shoe obsession. And I love a comfy shoe as much as I love to struggle to walk in a foreign stiletto. I wanted to get you hip to Tom's shoes, some of the most comfortable shoes I've ever purchased. Disclaimer, I'm an affiliate and super excited to introduce them to you. From slip-ons to sneakers, flats, heels, and wedges, they have you covered. And they're in business to improve lives. For every $3 that they make, they give away $1. Check out their fun new styles at the link in the show notes and get a spring in your step. Yes, honey, it's almost spring. Can you believe it? Try some on. I bet you live in them. And let me know what color you select. You're listening to Sweet Bites with Sandra with your host, Dr. Sandra Coltimedici. Follow on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Sandra Coltimedici the podcast and lifestyle Instagram at Sweet Bites with Sandra. And for upcoming course announcements, follow College of Style on Instagram as well. Want to enjoy more sweet rewards? Join Sandra's Facebook groups, Sweet Bites with Sandra, Content Creator Convention, WA Guest Blogging, and Twitter Spaces Female Entrepreneurs. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'd like to invite you to subscribe and listen to my new podcast, Sweet Pipes with Sandra. Satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth in each episode full of digital business tips, inspiring interviews, asides from my entertainment career, and rewards to celebrate your sweet success. Find Sweet Bites with Sandra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me on episode 22 of Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Coltimedisi, and I wanted to tell you that this is such a great episode because I have Hogan Lee as my interview today. He is an operations and customer experience expert, and he has worked for some of the most influential organizations that you have seen in some recent times, from Flipagram to ByteDance, which is kind of also known as TikTok, and also also forever note. So I'm so excited for you to hear that interview a little bit later because I'm calling this episode Mood the Bite because we have a brand new addition to the website and it is a transitional mood board. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. When you're thinking about ideas and idea creation and curating your content, sometimes it's great to put together a mood board, which really just identifies what your key elements are for your brand identity and brand messaging. So that could go from color to typography to identifying key points that you want to put in as far as imaging, whether it's going to be digital. So you want to identify some of those key points points and flip it around, flip your mood board around. If you have to turn it around on its head, then fine. I know that we talk about this in our interview with Hogan Lee a little bit later, but I definitely wanted to stress the importance of creating a mood board, whether it's for visualization for what you want in life, or it's to really hone in on what you want to bring to top of mind for your customer and have for their customer experience and the life of the consumer journey that you want to take them on. What is the mood that you want your brand to evoke with your customer? That is super important. And so I want you to take a look at sandracoltamedici.com forward slash mood and check it out every single week. I'm going to be changing up my mood board so that you get a little bit different take on what it's like to rearrange it and figure out, okay, what works for you? What would you do in this particular situation? What is inspiring me is going to be on there, but I'm hoping that it also inspires you as well. Let's take a question from one of our listeners. So I had a question come in from a listener and it was about stories. And I know that there are a lot of different ways that you are allowed to, you know, infuse your content into stories, whether it's on Instagram, on Twitter fleets, which are basically stories, or now I have become a story pinner on Pinterest. So I have um, really great ideas for you when you're thinking about things to do on your stories, because, you know, in the listener question, he, he was asking, what do I do with stories? There, you know, do I just put a quote up? Do I put a video up? Do I put myself up? And you know, what I've been using for stories is first listens for the podcast. I've also been putting up 
announcements and countdowns for College of Style. And I've also been putting up, me, myself and I, I've also been putting up different videos of myself, really short ones, giving you a behind the scenes take on what I've been doing with my brand, with College of Style and how that can help you as you sign up and get early access to it. So there's just a few things. Those are a few different ways that you can use stories to really get your authentic self out there and have people identify with you as yourself, you're the person behind the brand and give them a little special access to what it's like in your day to day, what you're promoting at the time, maybe ask a question or two and give them a really good feel of what it's like to be a part of the brand instead of just selling to them. Let them be a part of it and that will help you as you build on your story repertoire. If you have a question that you would like answered on Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast, feel free to call 401-216-5059, leave a voicemail, and you too could be featured on the podcast. Welcome back to Sweet Bites with Sandra. And I am here today with the expert. He has let me know. He's an expert on operations and customer experience. Thank you so much for joining me, Mr. Hogan Lee. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Yes, you. well, we just did that intro three times, so I am so glad I got it right on the last time. You know, they say third time's a charm, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's time to hit it out of the park. I know. Well, so let's talk about some of the things that you have been a part of. And I always ask people what, you know, to describe one thing in their career that they've noticed that has been the biggest change along the way. So from when you started till now, what's the biggest change that you've seen? Yeah, so the biggest change that I've seen and the biggest change that has been really challenging for me is to change my thinking from being an individual tactical contributor mm -hmm. to more of a strategic vision where you're inspiring people and setting goals so that people can do their best work, but at the same time, I can't do it by myself. And so changing that vocabulary and that wording to enable people to clearly understand where we need to go and allowing them to use their gifts and their experiences in the best way they can to help achieve that together. Well, so when you're talking about vocabulary, what kind of vocabulary are you using, vocabulary are you using now um, that would help somebody you know, change their mindset or their strategic vision or get to their goal? Yeah, so for me, it's really about, you know, there's that saying, um, seeing the tree and the forest, right? And so oftentimes in our beginning of the career, um, we need to get the basics. So we're kind of looking at the various trees and maybe nurturing them. But at the same time, as you get more experienced and you have more influence, you kind of have to start seeing the, the forest, right? And seeing how you can kind of make bigger changes uh, because one little thing, little, it's like the butterfly effect. One little thing will make this big, huge tsunami in the end. Um, and so those are the same things that kind of I'm evolving to. So my journey is still continuing, but it has been a challenge, but I'm excited because it's something that I think is worth it. And yeah. being able to kind of do your best on, on an individual level. And then eventually you start getting these chances to make bigger impacts with more people and setting the tone for what your team or organization or company needs to do. And that takes a different skill set, um, especially within being able to communicate effectively. Right. Well, so in operations and just customer experience, I know that we are all customers. So even as somebody who's working in that field, you're, you are buying and, and being persuaded by other people at the same time. So what's the biggest hangup that you have encountered when you're working through processes and getting, you know, pe moving people from here to there um, that you feel is kind of like that one thing that you've, you've gotten like, ah, you know, if we could just perfect this, what would that be? Yeah, I guess for me, um, that's a great question. I would say that if, earlier in my career, I'd always think about what's best for the business. I guess later in my career now, and as I going forward, um, I really believe that if you do the best for the customers, that is ultimately best for the business because you want people to come back, be loyal, to also market your, you know, your service or product without you having to really appeal to them or do these kind of mass um, you know, money intensive uh, campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess I've shifted my mindset from really being more about business success to more customer success 
which in turn will lead to business success. So it's a little bit of a rejiggering in the kind of the formulation of what I think is really important for companies to focus on uh, for their success. Nice. Well, so what do you think is one of the hardest parts of your daily work? And it could be, you know, it could have been at a previous company or, or what you're doing now. Um, what do you think is one of the hardest things that you have to do? I, I mean, it, it could be working with your own people. It could be, you know, reaching out to form, you know, strategic partnerships. What's the hardest part? Yeah. So I think for me, and this is a recent discovery, is that no matter what I do, I want to do the best in it. And I realized that I can't be the best in everything. And so with that in mind, uh, the skill set that I'm really trying to develop and continue to develop is really hone in on the things that I'm really good at and really identify the things that I'm not good at and enable, enable for me to offer this opportunity to others that really want to do that work, um, are really good at it um, and can grow and, and learn from it so that I'm not trying to do everything. Right, because if you're if everything if you're if you're trying to be the best at everything, that means you're just being okay at everything. Right, <laughs> we're human. Right, we only have so much time in a day, and we we're born with different experiences. So I would say that for me is to really do my best to keep my energy in the areas where that energize me, and really do my best to manage those tasks that if I can't get help with it, you know manage them effectively in the time frames that will allow me to do my best work. Or if I have people or teams that I trust to really help allow them to help me in these so that I can focus on the things that give me energy, do my best work. And then you have a much more better dynamic to delegate or leverage the strengths that other people bring to the table. Right. Well, and so I, I have a lot of listeners that are business owners or entrepreneurs that are thinking about starting a business. Um, so when you're thinking about those teams and forming teams, if you're going into a meeting, let's say, you know, and, and you've got your operations team, how do you run your meeting? What's your process? Like, are you asking for questions? Is it a round table? You know, everybody has their whole process of how they run a meeting. What's your process? So I've come up to the ranks as a process program and project management kind of guy. So I'm a little bit geeky in that area. Um, so for me personally, um, I start with the goal in mind, right? At the end of the meeting, what do you want to have accomplished, right? And so those are the kind of things that I think about first, because that's where I want to get to. And then I start thinking about how I'm going to get there, right? How can I make sure that people are prepared for this meeting? Are, do they have the necessary information so that we're not just uh, sitting around the room and having a meeting longer than we need to have because eventually, you know, there's a time where people are very effective in meetings and then there's a time where people start getting relaxed and it starts dragging on and then it starts tangenting out. So how can I make sure that we achieve these goals and identify different options, but also at the same time get feedback from the people in the meeting, right? There are some people that are very outgoing and gregarious. Like you have no problem in hearing them and hearing what they believe and their arguments. But I also want to do, and this is what I realize is that since we know that not everyone is the same, not everyone is the extrovert. And there's actually more introverts than extroverts. And so with that in mind, giving the space for people that may not feel comfortable in speaking to let them know that their input is valuable um, and give them that space to give that feedback because it allows us to get a much more holistic and well-rounded discussion and thoughts on what the different pathways um, and targets can be. And so that's kind of work what I've been like aggressively working on. It's really served me well. Um, <laughs> it allows people who love the preparation to feel like they're prepared, allows people who don't need it as much, but at least they have some more to kind of start thinking about it with their own ideas um, so that they don't get influenced by this concept called groupthink, right? Like you want to make a decision on a group and usually, you know, the few loudest voices end up convincing everyone in the group to go that direction. And while that might be good for the simple, um, you know, tasks and projects that we're doing, when it comes to the things that are much bigger, um, I truly believe that uh, having everyone's voice heard uh, allows us to formulate the best solution that will hopefully in the end get us to that goal in the quickest, whether quickest, you know, most efficient, um, timely, or allows people to have the best experience. 
Nice. Well, I, I agree. There's been some meetings I've been in that just go on and on. And then you wonder like, what were we supposed to be doing in this meeting? <laughs> um, and, and I feel like sometimes that that is partly because people want you to like them. You know, they, they want it to be fun at the end instead of just, you know, hey, let's, I've called this meeting. Um, but I do want to ask you two or three solutions that maybe you have as far as best practices for people starting out in, you know, um, in the industry, whether it's, um, you know, you have obviously worked in a lot of different organizations that people would know. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to rattle off a few. So MTV and Forever Note and Byte Dance and Flipogram. So a lot of those places people have heard of. So as far as working at places that, you know, are kind of bigger names, what would you say is one of one or two or three of the best practices um, that you could say as far as getting into a big organization like that? Yeah, so when you say ByteDance, that was a company that no one knew about before this year, right? Until this year. So I mean, when we say TikTok, everyone's like, oh, TikTok. Uh, right. <laughs> but the reality is that, you know, ByteDance is the company that is the parent of TikTok. And, you know, it's been a very um, extraordinary and very lucky to have that experience where, you know, I was with a startup that got acquired by ByteDance. And then from the, the teams that you know, came from Flippogram and from Musical.ly, we ended up focusing on what would eventually become TikTok. So that's an interesting story in itself. So, so your wait, question- wait, wait. So go into how you ended up with the company that then got acquired by ByteDance. So I joined a, a startup called Flippogram. I was mm-hmm. part of the early team and it was a mobile app that made it very easy for people to make their own music videos using their photos and videos. Um, and share it immediately to any of their, you know, most treasured uh, social platforms with a push of a button. The thing that made it very unique was not only was it very easy to use, but we allowed people to use actual music that they like to hear for free, right? We were one of the first um, apps at that time that had legal licensing of music from publishers and labels because we knew that, you know, using real music that people want to hear and tying it to images and videos that are so personal to them makes it that much more compelling than using some stock music that, you know, we have heard in the past, right? You see a lot of platforms like Facebook and Instagram. Now you can use real music and it's just so much more engaging rather than some like generic um, elevator music that would you would hear in, you know, an office building or something that, you know, doesn't require um, the rights or cost as much, but you get what you pay for, right? So uh, <laughs> that, that was the flip, that was a story of Flippogram. Um, and I joined very early, you know, was, uh, within the you know first 10 hires. And oh eventually I, you know, did well. I was brought in to build out the program management team. And eventually I took over all of operations for uh, Flippogram. And that includes departments that, you know, I haven't had historically had, you know, uh, experience running like legal, um, finance, HR. Was, was that right? daunting? It was daunting because, you know, for me, um, it's exciting because it allows me to learn and grow, but it's daunting because, you know, these, this is a different discipline. This is not disciplines that I've had a traditional background in, but I, I had confidence that I could do it well because I will just figure it out. Um, and that I think allowed me to get over the imposter syndromes and kind of the, the, the stress that one gets without knowing what the future might hold. Right. Um, and so I think that was a big leap, leapfrog jump for my career because I went from this little tiny, you know, garage group, you know, company, be, trying to become a legitimate, you know, company with a real office and scaling upwards. And then eventually, you know, we ended up getting bought by ByteDance in February, 2017. And then, um, you know, after the acquisition, I was, my main role was to incorporate Flipogram into ByteDance. And, and make sure that all the processes and procedures were being followed so that you could be you know, fully integrated with ByteDance and kind of working on what's next. And so that's what I focused on. And I also did that with Musical.ly when we um, acquired them in November of that same year. Um, and then uh, you know, really kind of seeing how the different teams, how we're able to kind of create a working environment that enables for people to do their best work so that we can build what would eventually be one of these rockstar apps called TikTok. Um, and so I got to see kind of the iterations, the testings. We did so much test. So when people say that TikTok came in out of the blue in like <laughs> early 2019, 
You know, it's like the reality is a lot of hard work came in before then. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes, but those were the things that allowed us to learn and tweak and modify. And so those first kind of two years were just really doing our best to figure things out, trying new things, you know, testing different ways, being innovative about different, you know, um, you know, not just copying other people, but trying new things. And so I think the great thing about that is that at the end of the day, TikTok is now one of the most popular apps in the world. Um, it alone by itself could be a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, you know, right. it's a dream, dream story for any startup, right? You go from nothing, an idea to a billion dollar company that, you know, they sold, you know, part of it or are selling. I don't, I lost track. This is <laughs> This drama There's that's a going lot here. going on in 2020. Yeah. So 2021, we'll see exactly, you know, how things work out. <laughs> yeah. But you know, those like that, those buyers or investors like Walmart and Oracle, I mean, we're talking 20, 30, 20 to 40 billion, right? Like yeah. just for that, for part of that company. Yeah. And so I would say that um, it's, it's quite the story, right? For a, a, a tech person that wants to kind of feel that energy that wants to be part of the next, you know, Facebook or Google or any of that stuff. Um, you learn the good and you learn the bad um, and you, you kind of take those and see how you can make things better. Uh, mm -hmm. But that all kind of contributes to that story of, you know, looking back, you can see how all the dots connect, but kind of looking forward, it's kind of hard to see that. And you kind of have to take chances and risks. Um, and sometimes you get lucky and things like this happen um, because I think a big, big part of it, aside from working hard, smart, um, luck and opportunity have a huge part of it. And so I, I'd like to say that, you know, a lot of this happened because, you know, me and the, and our team, uh, we, we were just so amazing, you know, and we just kind of, we were the right place, you know, like, and we, we could just grind it through and we had the expertise, but the reality is, um, timing luck that has an, unfortunately an oversized impact. And so uh, I just feel fortunate that I had the chance to go on that ride and uh, made some wonderful lifelong friends in that process and also got to experience different cultures, right? Like with Flippergram, we were a Silicon Beach or LA, you know, based the startup. Um, and we kind of were more kind of on, on along to the lines of a traditional startup. Like we had Sequoia and Kleiner Perkins are as, as our, one of our main investors. And so we were kind of dealing in that world. But then after the acquisition, I got to go to China quite often. I got to go to ByteDance's headquarters and you got to see how China and their, you know, kind of explosive ecosystem of tech uh, works. Uh, and it's, it's, I would say it's very different from how things work here. Uh, I think they take a lot of what works really well from America and tailor it to what works in China. But you also see how hard people work and how many people there are. And, you know, kind of helps to, you know, explain why such companies like ByteDance, which were formed, you know, after 2010, became one of, you know, a I think the most valuable privately held company in the world now. Um, and so you see kind of the good and the bad for each of these cultures. And I think at the end of the day, it gives me a much more well-rounded perspective of what I would see and what I would like at, you know, any uh, my future career chapters. Well, so let's talk about best practices though. So I'm, I'm, I skipped forward <laughs> because huh. you stopped me at, at ByteDance and TikTok. So, so let's talk about um, maybe some best practices that you have in people, you know, for people who want to get into some of these, you know, larger companies um, who, who just don't know how to go about it. You know, so you said you kind of just started it in one of the smaller versions that then got acquired. So is it about just going in and, and doing the work and kind of just, you know, hoping that it's the right fit and, and that something good happens? Or is it about going and knocking on the door at a place like, you know, um, CNN or Condé Nast or, you know, one of the bigger, you know, corporations types and, and just saying, here I am, you know, what, what is the best practice for somebody getting in to, to one of the big places to work? Yeah. So I'd say that there's nothing wrong with putting your head down and work. Um, I think that's, you know, been a strength for a lot of communities. I would say that a stereotypical trait of Asian Americans is just to grind away and do the work, right? And I would say that you can get a certain amount of success, but I would say at the end of the day, um, that can only take you so far. Um, and so doing the work and being able to do the work is very important, but you need to have the chance to do that work first. Um, and so for me, I'd say that I'm glad I 
did the grind, but at the same time, I learned a little bit later and I, you know, I always wish things I learned, I wish I learned earlier, but the power of networks, right? Or, you know, that networking is such a cliche term, but let's say more of the power of friends, right? Because ultimately we want to de uh, develop deeper relationships with people rather than a utilitarian or transactional relationship. So with the goal of being friends, friends look out for each other, friends help each other out. Uh, they want the best for each other. And so I'd say that's the mindset that I've kind of grown into in growing my network. Um, it's not about quantity, it's about quality because through quality will become quantity, right? They'll want to introduce you to other people that can help you or how you can help each other. Um, and so if I had to kind of identify one best practice is, you know, um, be less transactional in relationships and be more relational relationship and friendship focused because if you want the best for people and you know that they want the best for you then it feels easier to you know call them up if you need help because people want to help people i think inherently humans um, have a desire to do good in this world and so uh, by building up that kind of uh, social capital uh, before you need it i think i uh, can provide some crazy dividends down the road and kind of uh, I've experienced a lot of it, and you know, I know that that's just tipping the, touching the tip of the iceberg. And so, I'm looking forward to kind of what these blessings and awesome stuff will happen in the near future. Yes. Well, so you've already had some awesome stuff happen to you because I read in your bio, you have already been kind of given an honor by the city of LA for your service. So, what was that about? Tell me more about that. I've always kind of found my way to try to find a balanced life. And that includes work is a big part of it because we spend a lot of our days there, but also have some sort of a component in my life that gives back because I feel like, you know, the more I give, the more I get back. And if I can't get it at work, I'll join or help out a nonprofit, volunteer for a nonprofit. And so that was my strategy to create a balanced life that allows me to feel like I'm making progress in different areas um, that I'm working on. And so uh, I did that over the years, joined the boards of numerous nonprofit organizations and from doing good work in them and proving myself, not because I wanted to prove others, but I wanted to do good for others because that's something that I want to do. Uh, that got caught the eyes of certain leaders within the community and ultimately, um, you know, folks that I became friends with vouched for my behalf so that the mayor of the Los Angeles felt comfortable in putting his name out to appoint me for a commissioner position uh, in the city of LA. And so that was another learning of opportunity, right? It allows me to see a different industry from the inside out um, and see how government runs. Because oftentimes we're so busy in our day that as long as you know our roads are fixed, trash decks taken out, we kind of take a, uh, put them in a back seat and just kind of go on with our lives. But this was an opportunity for me to see how those things work. It was an internal consulting um, commissioner, commission appointment. So we were looking at the different departments of how we can help people work more efficiently, bring in new ideas, generate new innovation. And so with that, I was able to see the departments such as landfill and um, you know, the uh, garbage disposal. I went to landfill, I saw how they separate, you know, <laughs> the junk and the trash that we throw out each day, um, that, that it really makes a difference and what they do to kind of service the citizens and the folks that live in LA and allowing them to have a, a solid foundation and a life so that they can do their, you know, business or just live their best lives. Wow. Well, I mean, I can't imagine how, I mean, you're an, you're an operations expert. So I assume that, you know, going into the city of LA going, Hmm, that's a huge operational task. You know, just to just to see how it runs, and uh, you know, because there there have to be efficiencies, and I'm sure that there's always some sort of way that we can fix things um, to make them better. Um, so, what was maybe um, you know something that you saw that you took into maybe a different part of your um, your career uh, just from that experience? Yeah. So, with that in mind, we had a certain level of authority, but at the same time, uh, you know, we were there to help advise and um, drive innovation. And often those things can't not be done very well by using a stick. You know, you heard the whole carrot and stick analogy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what works better, beating people or giving them something they want, right? So, um, 
So, and especially with the city government, you have so many different departments that have been operating in the same way for many years. And, and part of it is, you know, because it works, right? Um, and so oftentimes, I think one thing that when I first joined, that, you know, I'm a very impatient guy, you know, especially working in tech, things happen so quick, and you want it to happen quicker, you know, fail fast, you know, all these things. But at the same time, like, you know, different industries work differently. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that, you know, that desire for quick, you know, wins and, and uh, quick uh, advancement and, and evolution uh, would not serve me well, because I didn't understand, you know, you have to under, for me, I had to understand first to understand where it might go, rather than just being a, I don't know, there's that phrase, being a bull in a china shop where, right. you know, you have a big bull and it's just kicking a lot of things, crushing things, trying to make change by the same day. It's just a big mess, right? So yeah. uh, there's the city is you know historic and diverse, and it's been around for over a hundred years. So you know things that have remained, uh, there is some validity to it, and it's up to me as a new outsider to really understand them, so I could balance out what new opportunities might they maybe might they be ready for or um, palatable to. Um, you know we are we're dealing with unions too. Um, and that's completely different than in tech where, you know, it's like a higher, you know, higher, slow, fire fast. And, you know, just um, it's, a, it's a different type of industry dynamic. Um, and both are good because one, you know, their, their job is to protect the workers. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, on the, on the flip side, some people think that may slow things down. But at the same time, you know, you want to find a solution that helps everyone, you know, win win. Right. Is that what we're trying to do rather than allow people to, some folks to win and some people to lose. Um, and so with that in mind, it started with me. And so when I first started, uh, we did a lot of listening tours with the different departments on what they're doing right and what they think some of the gaps are and along with some of their ideas, because some of the best ideas came from within the department because they're the ones doing the work, right? It's not the management. We, you know, of course, we're gonna talk to all the general managers and all the executives and we would get a certain picture but we really wanted to hear what the boots on the ground said, um, what the potential efficiencies could be that we could, you know, champion for them. Um, you know, assuming that maybe the politics are a little bit, you know, very challenging, and you know, maybe they're the type to just put their head down and grind away. Uh, but we wanted to be that sounding board in a in a very um, uplifting and uh, promoting way, so that if we there's an idea, we would help fund it, pilot it out, see what the results are, and if it really works. Uh, that could help provide, you know, ammunition and, and, and momentum to do it on a wide scale. So we're not that built in the China shop. We're starting off with tiny little pilots and tests that are, you know, by itself, not that significant, but it allows people to get more comfortable to understand how the process might work, what challenges and uh, what might, you know, transpire and as well as the benefits. Um, and so it gives us data in which to work with so that we're not just talking uh, subjectively, we're providing some real life data that will allow people to make better decisions, both on based on their gut and their feeling, but also with tangible results that come from the actual doing. Well, so, I mean, that, it's, if you weren't listening, go, rewind that <laughs> and listen to that again, because it's all about when, when you're, I mean, you were talking about being a consultant and going into somebody else's domain and really, um, understanding where you are before telling them how you think it should be done. And, and that's, that's just a, a really great piece of advice because a lot of times people do go in and they're like, ah, you should do this. And they're like, but hold on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is why we're doing it this way. And so it is a, a, a balance, I would say, um, for anyone who is going to be a, a consultant or work with people um, in an industry that they have not worked in before, um, to be a good listener. And I think I put on my, my website the other day, um, you know, do more, say less, <laughs> um, because it is really important to have that ear open to say, okay, now I get it. Um, and so I have to ask you another question that I ask every single guest that I have on the show. Right. Um, and that is describe a story uh -huh. that you have just kind of kept with you along the way um, right. throughout your career that is either inspiring, it could be funny, it could be terrifying, like something that went completely wrong, um, or it could be, you know, a, an amazing achievement or accomplishment that you were just like, yes, that, that's it. 
I can I can check that box. All right. So this was not something throughout my career, but this was an epiphany that happened recently within the last two weeks. You know, after ByteDance, I left to start my own company with some uh, friends of mine. Uh, we, we got some venture capital funding. Uh, we created a company called CareNote. Um, and the premise of that idea was a loneliness hotline for senior citizens. Because in America, it's very common for elderly to grow old alone. Um, you know, in other parts of the world, you know, the family grows old together. They live together, they do everything together. But here in America, we're an individualist society. We're also geographically so diverse and, and we're a gigantic country, right? You could fit up all of Europe inside the United States with many, well, lots of space to go, right? So um, we knew that that was an issue. Loneliness is an issue. Um, and I think for us, a lot of people that are driven and motivated, we're like grinding away, right? And there's only so much time in the day. And as we grow older, you know, sometimes we learn, you know, how to prioritize our time. And earlier in my career, I was just going all in for work because that's all I had. Uh, and I didn't unfortunately spend that much time for family. Um, I was living in Atlanta. My parents are in LA, they're growing older. I would only see them once or twice a year. And so um, I would say that I still love them quite a bit. I mean, they're my parents. Uh, but just because I only see them once or twice a year doesn't mean that I love them anything any less, right? So the service was to create a conversational partner to the people that we care about, but that also keeps the people that care about them in the loop. Because for example, if I had a grandparent in a living assisted living home and they were getting abused, I'd like to hear about that so I could do something about it. Right. Um, or if they're doing great and they're loving life and just like seeing like life is a song, then at least I'd love to hear about that too, because it gives me peace to know that then I can not have to worry about that and focus my energies on things that are maybe more productive or things that are more serious. Uh, because oftentimes, you know, this farce of multitasking, the reality is just makes everything not as effective. Well, so we did that and the service was good. NPR did a story about us, but we couldn't get people to buy it. We did a B2C or business to consumer business. And we realized that the people that needed it the most were the people that had the least in society, people on welfare, uh, Medicare. Um, and so we knew in working with um, the University of Chicago that the most likely paths to victory were through government and insurance. And if you know about those in industries, it takes a long time to do any change, even the littlest things, right? Because they are so ingrained in doing things that they have done for many, many decades, maybe centuries. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we ended up having to pivot our business, uh, pivot as, in be, as what I mean by change the business. And so that's how Forever Note came to be. We wanted to capture the stories of the people that ca we care about. So it's kind of still tied in to legacy and you know, those oral histories, but we wanted to democratize the way that people were able to capture these stories, but also allows them to get a professional written book so that it's not just an audio interview of your grandmother talking about her, her experience in maybe coming to this country or, you know, um, her family as she grew up uh, going through, you know, the different um, life-changing experiences in our generation. Uh, but you would have professional journalists, a team of professional journalists, transcribers, copywriters, graphic designers that would then at the end of the day, allow the customer to have an ebook and a physically printed bespoke high quality book that they could then give as gifts or pass down to generations. And so we did, we finally found some product market fit with that, that um, this pivot, right? Forever note. Um, we did great this past, you know, a year ago in the last holiday season, man, it was great. But no one could have predicted what would happen in 2020 right. and all the disruption that would have happened. So, you know, of course we were affected because we're not an essential good. Um, and, you know, we're a small startup. So we still had to, you know, really, you know, fight tooth and nail for every customer. We didn't have the name brand or, you know, those partnerships yet, but we did have an amazing product that, you know, the feedback, was really touching. A lot of times they were with family members who passed away shortly afterwards. So this was their last final story and that we were able to capture because oftentimes those stories are gone 
and lost if they're not written down, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we were clobbered. Um, I would say that I went through, man, some tough times, you know? It's like your baby, right? When you start a company from an idea, you, you do whatever you can to, it's like your kid, you know? You do whatever you can to make it thrive, you know? But oftentimes you take on the burden yeah. of things that you don't, you can't control over, you know, you can't control over, right? I couldn't control uh, this pandemic. I, I would have never known, right? And the resulting, you know, downturn that would happen. I knew that we were kind of ripe for maybe a correction, but who knew that the world would shut down the way it did? Um, I wanted so, to be in the in the toilet paper industry. Like, can I be in that one? With yeah. The like, come on. Toilet paper or like, you know, those wipes with, uh, you know, antiseptic wipes. Fans, yeah. I mean. Good luck getting that. Who could, who could predict all of that, right? Or who can get any of those now, right? Ex so Exactly. But uh, yeah, that's one of the things I learned is just entrepreneur journey has got the highs, the highs, the lows, the lows. And when your business doesn't work out, you know, I'm, I, it's not fair for the entrepreneur, but oftentimes we kind of fall victim to take on everything on our shoulders. And that is not only unfair, but it is, it is crushing. Um, you know, why is this business not working? Is there something else I could have done more? Or did I, you know, why, why did I make any, all these bad decisions that led me to this? So there's like all this catastrophizing that goes on. So one thing that I've learned that, you know, I tell my other entrepreneur friends and those that are interested in going to entrepreneurs that uh, you just can do your best. You just need to do your best and not worry about the things you can't have control over, right? Because that just leads to stress. Right. Um, and as long as you do that, I, I'm, I've learned uh, this year, especially with the pandemic, is that, you know, I, I've really found out that I was getting, ex you know, validation from the external. And that was something that has changed within me this year is that I'm, I need to be much more intentional about finding that validation from inside so that I don't get crushed all the time, right? Um, right. You know, it's, and it also allows you to cherish and really savor the wins that you have in life, all up to my life, right? Everything that took me to this position. And when you look back, you could see how the dots connect and you're like amazed, there's miracles that happen all along the way. But you know, when you're looking from it externally, you're like, I just want that title. I wanted to get that money. I want to get that position at this company. Um, so that has led me to fall into my career oftentimes, right? And so I'm trying to be more intentional about looking forward to what's next rather than, you know, going for what sucks least, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people, you know, and me personally as also yeah. gone through, right? Like, you're in this horrible spot sometimes in your career. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's a bad boss or a bad environment or you're just not the type of work that you dreamed of. But you're so, so, you know, beat down that you're just like, you just want to escape. Mm -hmm. And then you just don't, you know, you don't necessarily do your due diligence. You just know that anywhere but here will be better. The reality is that unless you're intentional about it, you might, it's very well that you might be coming into the same environment or worse, right? Just because you right. just wanted to escape. Um, and so that's something that I'm, I'm actively and continuously working on, because if you don't know yourself or if you don't stand for something, um, you'll fall for anything. And so I don't want to be falling for that no more. <laughs> right. So, you know, let's get that intention going. Let's know ourselves better. Let's know our full selves better, right? Not only our tactical and our work expertise, but, you know, those things that I've always been aware about, like our feelings and our EQ. Uh, because oftentimes some of those answers come from those sides. Can't think your way all, uh, all the time to a solution. Sometimes you got to kind of lean on your gut. Some people call it the heart. Um, sometimes you just got to give it up, right? Whether it's to God, to the universe, to anything. But yeah, so um, the thing that's happening this year is maybe, you know, this pandemic has been a silver lining for me to slow down, focus on myself and those areas that I've been kind of... Uh, not wanting to focus on because work was easier. You know, I can just fill it with my comfort zones of work um, and the things I do really well in and be busy. It's easy to be busy and it feels good to be busy, but uh, some things you can't force. And uh, that's something that I'm learning. Um, and so I, I feel that after I've learned some of it, it's given me a lot more peace because I wasn't trying to force something to happen in my own time. Um, things will happen as they should, 
I just need to do the work and be ready for when it happens, right? So that allowed me to release a lot of that burden that was taking on um, and going through this entrepreneur journey. And I think this is a nice little result lesson that I'm getting from this, even though it, it was challenging to go through it. But hey, I don't know if I would have gotten this answer any other way, you know? So yeah, that's something that I, I would definitely recommend for those that are either in entrepreneurship or thinking about it, um, you know, just uh, do your best. Don't feel the need to take on the burden of the entire company on your shoulders because you just can't, you can't compare, you know, you know, can't predict everything. Uh, but you know, you can, you know, you know, when you've done your best. Um, and so going with that gut feeling and your heart uh, is something that I'm getting better at and exercising very much so these days. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> everybody has this, um, this time on their hands to do something and, you know, hopefully things have gotten better in 2021 for many people. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, with, with all of the, um, industries, hopefully back on track at some point, at least by the end of 2021, I would say, um, that, that, you know, most people will have had the same kind of epiphany that you were talking about and, and looking inward instead of looking for validation outward. It's, it's never a bad look to take a look inside. It's never bad, <laughs> you never know, bad, yeah. doing it takes that attention though and time and time right? and so effort. you got to do it. And a little tears. <laughs> and a little tears. And, you know, I'm getting better at that. I think yeah. uh, my pipes were clogged for so many years because, you know, like, it's not supposed to cry and all stuff. But, yeah. like, man, is that therapeutic or what? You know, it's like, so it's re reinventing kind of what um, I wanted kind of to be or to show. I was kind of, you know, before this pandemic, I was trying to show this perfect self to everyone, like, yeah. got it put it together. But no one's got it put it together you know nobody's together i mean there are <laughs> some people who've got it together for a moment right <laughs> but it's right. not always 100 percent 24 hours a day so so i definitely get it um and i've been doing the same thing obviously this is a brand new show this is you know in its first iteration um you know with only a handful of episodes that have hit the air but i've gotten a lot of feedback that you know the advice that guests like yourself have been giving is very inspirational um, and it also gets them thinking in a different way. And so I thank you for joining me on Sweet Bites with Sandra. <laughs> thank you so much, Sandra. Have you been to my shop lately? I have been in the lab and creating new items just for you. Take a look at the decor, the brand new eye collection, and spanking new done for you templates for social media. Yes, <laughs> I told you I am giving you my A game in 2021. Check it out and buy yourself a little something to reward yourself for making a commitment to yourself to rock 2021 like no other. Just visit www.sandracoltimadc.com forward slash shop today. So the story I wanted to tell for this episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast, is I actually created my own award show, and it was called the Artist Awards, and it was part of my work with Dance Track Magazine. And I, in a few episodes back, I talked about how Dance Track had gone on to shoot an episode of Dance Moms, and it was really fun. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you check back a few episodes and make sure you listen to that. But one of the things that I found as far as creating my own award show was it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of teamwork to bring things like that together. So if you are looking to create your own award show, I just wanted to give you a few lessons that I've learned from creating it and hosting it because it's not just about creating the award because that was really special. I created the award, but I also created categories for um, people to either enter or be nominated for. And then also the actual selection for the, the finalists. That was another portion of it. And then also the voting, who got to vote. Bringing up all of those different details as far as creating rules, and then also tabulating the voting and having the voting certified and presenting the awards, but also 
the other arm of it, publicizing the award show, getting press to the step and repeat, actually getting a step and repeat printed and having it down on the red carpet. All of those things were all so daunting when I first started the process, but it was a very good learning experience that you can't do everything all by yourself. So make sure that if you're creating something that is an event that is a lot of brain power to boot, make sure you have a team together before you get started because you're gonna have so many different things and so many things pulling you in different directions that you're gonna want a really solid team together before you get started. episode, I have an extra bite. And this episode, I wanted to talk about fruit salad because I make a really mean fruit salad. It's pretty good. And it's actually from my grandmother's recipe, um, but I add strawberries to it. So I, I'm going to be showcasing fruit salad on my website. So go to sandracoltamedici.com forward slash blog, and you will see my version. I think people call it an ambrosia salad. I call it fruit salad. My, my grandmother calls it apple salad, but you can make your own version of it. But I'm going to show you a few different pictures of what other people do with their ambrosia salad. The key ingredient in this fruit salad is marshmallows. I know it's not fruit, <laughs> but it is amazing in this salad. And I hope that you try making it yourself. I always make it either in the holidays or at least, you know, one other time of the year. But when I was pregnant both times with both of my little girls, I made fruit salad like nobody's business. That was like my go-to. It was, it was like a food group in and of itself. It was its own food group, <laughs> but I hope you enjoy making it. I will put a list of the ingredients that I put into my fruit salad on my blog. So check it out and make sure you go to check out all the sweet rewards. They're on the podcast page of my website. Scroll all the way to the bottom and you can enter to win any of those e-gift cards that are listed there. Um, make sure you check, check, check. Make sure you check all of the end dates for all of the enter to win contests on my website because those are super important. And then also, I just wanted to just thank you for listening because we are on episode 22. Now that's really good. I feel like, you know, when people are listening to episodes and they're like, wow, they've only got one or two. I have over 20 now and I'm so excited because you made that possible because you're tuning in every single week to listen to Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast. And I'm so excited that you're here. So if you have a chance, make sure to go and rate, subscribe, comment, and share the podcast with a friend that may be able to use some of the tips that we have on the podcast with their business because it is super important to share the love. I'm so into that. So make sure that you share it, rate it, comment, and like it. And I'll see you on the next one. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, make sure to send an email to info at sandracoltamedici.com. Include in the subject line, be a sponsor.